Hi, and welcome to the Cosmic Nurse Podcast. My name is Rosie. I will be your host. This podcast is designed with you in mind. I have decided to put on my cosmic cape and share about cosmic and earthly knowledge centered around truth, justice, health, and spirituality. Humanity is hungry for more at a higher level of spiritual support that is anchored around harmony, joy, love, and connection. People are seeking true leaders. On this podcast, I will bring forward leaders who are paving the way in this renaissance of spiritual evolution. This is a space where you can find resources, education, community, and support. I invite you to think and feel outside the confines of the 3D world with me as your guide, seeing beyond to your bliss and more. Thank you and welcome. Hello and welcome to The Cosmic Nurse. This is Rosie. I will be your host today. And this is going to be our second um, episode of 2024. And I'm so excited because there's so many amazing things that are happening in the collective and in my life and that of the people around me with this new um, entry into this year has a lot to do with like really not just seeding things, but really following through with the things that we want to create in in our world and our life and how we want to show up and be in service for people. And my offering, as I continue to distill and alchemize and really embody the things that I desire to do for my community and to be continue to be in service, is to continue to bring you all these amazing speakers and wisdom keepers from all over that I can potentially get my hands on. And today, I am so thrilled to welcome a dear sister and dear friend and wisdom keeper, Navajo Dene sister, Belinda. Belinda is coming to us today from Phoenix. Tempe? Tempe. Tempe, yeah. Yeah. Um, Arizona. And she has um, so much to share with us today. Um, she is, um, Danae and Ashwini, which is a na- combination of Navajo and Zuni from the Southwest. She started doing work with psychedelics, um, in 2016, um, educating people, like holding her, her cultural, um, the cultural significance of their medicines and their ways and their, and their practices. And, she brings a focus on understanding um, and understanding wisdom as a foundational piece to um, psychedelic therapy. She has a, a master's in public health and um, a master's in technology. And she comes to us today to, to share about all kinds of great things that some projects that she's working on within her community and what is present for her and how she supports her uh, her tribe and her people with her medicine and her wisdom. So I would love to turn this over and introduce you all to Belinda. Thank you for joining me today, Belinda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Great. So I would love for you to expound upon a little bit about 
your background, tell the listeners a little bit about you, what you're doing, and what is active for you as well. So my beginnings with um, kind of being in this psychedelic space started in about 2016. Um, I was actually invited to the first psychedelic conference here in the uh, Tempe area. And um, my purpose was really to talk a little bit about not just um, psychedelic plants or ethnogens. It was really talk about other plants that are used for um, healing purposes. Um, you know, many indigenous cultures as well as Native American cultures, including my own, um, still utilize a lot of the plants as a way of healing, whether it's for, um, you know, healing arthritis or um, if it's dealing with um, arthritic conditions or even dietary conditions, you know, there's a lot of plants that are utilized. And then I started expanding more and more um, into the, the space of psychedelics as part of my own inner healing. Um, I started um, my journey with uh, Grandmother Ayahuasca, Shemasaneze is what we call her grandmother medicine, in uh, 2018. Um, and just going through my own inner healing and really doing a deep dive on some of the ancestral uh, wounds that I carried, her soul wounds, um, as Duran Duran refers to. Um, I like that term more because I think it really gets at the the essence of that healing process that we go through. And then, you know, in the more recent past, I've also, um, I started, I attended the MAPS MDMA therapy um, class for BIPOC therapists in, in Kentucky, um, as well as, you know, I've gone through some ketamine training um, and trying to bring that into the to the community and to those in, in Native American communities that are ready for that on, more on a one-on-one -on -one basis, not necessarily bring it into the community. Um, and then, you know, um, my own journey, again, also included the um, use of psilocybin. And really just trying to do a little bit more of that inner healing. You know, I, I look as look at us like onions, you know. Um, we're we're at the, the center of the onion, and then there's just like these leaves that get peeled back when we do this inner healing. And when we actually get to the core of our, our inner healing, we heal the past, our ancestors, but we also provide that doorway for um the the lineages that will come after us. And so that's kind of my uh, a little bit about my my journey with these medicines. That's um, that's amazing. You know, we we talked about when we did our call before we decided to go ahead and, and do a recording. We talked about a lot of really amazing things, and I really want to touch on some of the things that are really active for me that I feel like the community would like to hear more from you about with regard to this article that you did for MAPS um, mm -hmm. with respect to the challenges within your community and not just the Navajo or Hopi or Zuni or I really feel like that is um, an echo of what is occurring amongst a lot of communities all mm -hmm. over the world and the Amazon and, you know, Africa and whatnot. I think there's a common theme and I feel from what I've heard from a lot of um, chiefs and, and tribal leaders and, you know, just what people in communities like that are saying is that there's this disconnect that mm -hmm. occurs. And it really, that disconnect um, 
I feel, and a lot of people are talking about it, like Gabor Mate and Peter Levine and some of those type of, mm-hmm. you know, teachers talk about the the wounds that occur within those communities based on what's happening within their health mm-hmm. and the the um, challenges that are being that those, you know, people, I mean, you know, whether you're, you know, we're talking about indigenous communities. I mean, this is true to be said anywhere outside of that. So mm-hmm. I'm not excluding other people that are perhaps not, a, not you know, an affiliation with mm-hmm. a tribal community. I mean, let's face it, we all come from tribe, a tribe mm-hmm. of some sort, yeah. I mean, ancestrally. Mm-hmm. So um with regards to that, you know, I I really like that that article really hit a nerve with me because I feel like it really spoke to what is happening as has been continuing to happen over many many generations and mm-hmm. that it is like something that has not been fully dealt with within the healthcare system. I mean, I really Kind of hesitate to say healthcare because depending on who you talk to, it's really isn't not really a healthcare system. It's really more like a sick care system because mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. what we see is like right. really sick people. I mean, how are we really helping people within that's like a whole other topic. But with regards to the people within your community, you know, I, I, I feel like there's like a lot of chronic illnesses that just, you know, really impact so many folks and not just i mean these are not illnesses of the older generation mm-hmm. i mean these are illnesses that impact young people mm-hmm. like young like teenagers 20 year olds 30 year olds i personally have taken care of i can't tell you how many countless uh like pomo and miwok and there's another couple other tribes that are really you know like here in california that are dying of like kidney failure in their thirties mm-hmm. because they can't get the appropriate support mm-hmm. and health care um, uh, treatment in a timely manner. Um, mm-hmm. So I would love to hear about your feelings about this and your observations and what you think maybe, you know, can propose as a potential place to start within this because this is a big topic and it's like yeah. you know it's just like a big overriding theme that's just been there like in the dark I feel mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know because healthcare the health you know like you know health world health organization and you know the overriding theme of like healthcare the focus is on white people let's just mm-hmm. call it for what it is okay you know and the the drugs that there is out there for like, you know, that particular, you know, group doesn't always work for black people, Hispanic people, Native American people, because, you know, we weren't born in this country, you know, Mm -hmm. and if we were, the soil is completely different. Mm -hmm. So, you know, like, how do do we help these people? You know, that's always the biggest question. That's like, you know, big picture, right? But I would love to hear about what you have to say about this. You know, what are your thoughts? What are your feelings? Yes, um, you know, the reason why I, I wrote that article, um, and actually, you know, from the time that the MAPS conference happened in the summer of last year, I was sitting with it and I was really trying to think, how do I message this topic? Because it is it, it is a long and a very 
historical issue that really needs to be brought to the forefront um, so that everyone understands, you know, from a knowledge base, but also understands what the issues really are in, in tribal communities. And, you know, so I really try to focus on the, the systems that are created. Um, the healthcare systems for Native American people that live on reservations and some of the urban areas are received through Indian Health Service, which is an organization that is a part of the Department of Health and Human Services. Um, and at one time in a distant past, it was actually under the auspices of the U.S. Uh, Department of Interior. And prior to that, when when the government has actually established issues related to um, Indian or Native people was actually under the Department of War. So that kind of gives you a really a small glimpse of kind of where we've been from the from the past. Um, and the relationship that tribes have with the federal government are as sovereignty entities. And that's one of the things I wanted to make sure that I pointed out because it's similar to um, tribes being almost equal to states when they're dealing with relationship issues with the federal government. Mm -hmm. And they're also outlined as part of, of the um, U.S. Constitution Article 1, Section 8, if anybody wants to go and look at that. And it really speaks directly to providing health care outlined in treaties, um, U.S. court decisions, executive orders, and um, different types of enacted legislation. It is not an insurance. IHS is not an insurance mm -hmm. um, system. I, I think some people have the misconception that it's an, an insurance system. Um, Indian Health Service is much like the Veterans Health Administration, if you will, mm -hmm. where they really have three types of providers. There's direct services that are provided through these organizations. There are those that are tribally operated, so funds get allocated or given to tribes to run their own program, like behavioral health programs. And then there are urban um, Indian health programs. Part of the historic history um, in the United States was the whole idea that um, the government was trying to assimilate Native American people in this country. And part of that included moving um, Native American individuals off reservations into urban settings. And with the promise that they would get training, they would get housing. And when a lot of this happened in the 50s, um, people which Native American people would show up in the cities and there was nothing there for them. And so a lot of times, you know, what are you to do? You know, you got to try and find work. You got to find a, a way to survive. Um, and at the crux of a lot of the issues that we face, you know, that you were speaking to, chronic health conditions, suicide in our young people, you know, as, as young as um, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, um, is a result of underfunding by Congress. We get allocations through the... Um, congressional process. And, you know, I was reading a study just a couple of uh, days ago when I was getting ready for this because there was one article that I read about um, how um, it is estimated that only 48% of the actual health care needs of American Indian and Alaska Natives in this country is actually funded. So, I mean, you're talking literally half the population. So if you don't have the proper funding, you're going to run into issues um, with um, staff shortages, which we see today. We can't keep doctors and, I, you know, optometrists and dentists at, at some of our healthcare facilities. 
Um, you can't strengthen, you know, your disease prevention programs that you're trying to create to reduce chronic conditions. Um, in addition, you cannot modernize some of the healthcare infrastructures that were built in the 1960s. Um, we still got facilities and some of our reservations that are that old. And more importantly, how it relates to psychedelic is, you know, you can't, you can't increase access to trauma informed mental health, substance use disorder treatment or any type of specialized care. Um, is not available in, in Indian Health Service. So there's a, there's a lot of challenges, you know, as, as we ended, you know, as I wrote about in this article, high rates of alcoholism, substance use and disorders, mental health issues, suicide, um, unintentional injuries, liver disease, such as cirrhosis, diabetes, you mentioned. Um, so it just goes on. And so, when you really try to look at the root cause of that whole system breakdown, um, it's really um, centuries of structural discrimination, forced relocation, you know, moving us off reservations, our own original ancestral lands, moving us on the reservations that didn't have the means to actually hold and um, to allow us to continue to be uh, grow our own crops, you know, etc., um, you know, you have the reduced economic opportunities. It is very difficult you know, on my reservation in Navajo. It will take anywhere from five to 10 years for a new business to actually get established. And nobody is from the outside is going to come on a reservation to try and build a business if it's going to take that long to, you know, um, provide new jobs and those other kinds of things. And, and then the bottom line is just the chronic underfunding. And, you know, there are all of these types of issues that impact. So if, if the basic needs of um, tribal people aren't being met in this country, how can we even begin to have the conversation about psychedelic-assisted therapy? And, and so one of the things that I, for me, that is really um, bothersome is that, you know, in the state of Oregon and now in Colorado and in soon-to-be in, in Minnesota, um, the voices of Native American people are not being heard. You know, there's a, there's a process that um, you have to engage in with tribes, as they call them, uh, formal consultations, where you actually hear the voices of what their concerns are. And in, in all three instances, um, there's been very little conversation with tribes about what their needs are for moving psychedelic-assisted therapy into their communities or even having access to them um, for their members, tribal members. So it's a, it's a really, it is a really big issue. And so one of the things that really made me aware of this in the more recent um, legislation that was created in Minnesota, um, there was some questions that were brought up recently in a task force meeting. And they were, you know, it was a question that was asked about two task force, um, the, the chairperson, if there was... Um, expertise on the committee that knew understood the uh, legal implications for tribes and the state. And she said, no, you know, we talked about research, you know, because research is so important for creating policy, for creating programs. Um, and we asked her, are there individuals that have a knowledge of indigenous methodologies that could be incorporated into the scientific research? And she said, no. And so, there's there's really a big disconnect in this space, and I think it's it's an opportunity um, for us as Native American people to bring those forward. But it's also an opportunity for the 
the scientific um, part of this, the Western mindset to really try to understand and, you know, acknowledge these types of things. And I think sometimes one of the one of the basic fundamental things in Western culture, a lot of the culture is based on words that are noun-based. And when you have a culture where the language is noun-based, everything gets um, objectified. Mm-hmm. And in indigenous cultures, it's just the opposite. We are very verb-based cultures. We live in the moment. And so we might be talking about the same thing, but we're not understanding each other mm-hmm. and or understanding, you know, from here, from our heart, which is really what really matters. Yeah, well, you know, the English language... Um, is not spoken like the way it's that's best to be in communication with another human, you know, the way we're taught in schools. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that is uh that is a definitely a factor. And then that causes more of a an ability to really convey mm-hmm. like what is actually being inflected inflected to mm-hmm. the exchange. And so I find myself like, you know, also trying to find different ways to like really say what I really am really trying to convey to the person on the other end. And it's hard sometimes, you know, especially at work and things are really inflamed and, you know, and, you know, it just really all depends on the situation too. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a really key point. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about, um, you know, just the way it's all, it's all fragmented, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's very interesting that to me being, you know, like from a Western, uh, trained person, you know, educated in the U S even though I'm Cuban and Colombian and, you know, there's that cultural like flavor within my blood as well. And how we communicate in Spanish and how things are is very much like, is like, okay, well, this is how I am in this world. And this is how I am in this mm-hmm. world. And it's kind of like, okay, how do we bridge all of that? Um, and even to, you know, how I work with clients, and I'm mm-hmm. sure you find the same for you. And so as I reflect on that, you know, there is this sense of, you know, what a disservice that this country has done. And yesterday I was talking to a patient and, you know, I was explaining to them and this pa- this man was really just, I really sat with him for a while because even though it was a crazy day, because he has like a really advancing bone cancer mm-hmm. and, but he's like the, ni- like the nicest person, very patient. He was in so much pain and I sat with him and I explained to him because the majority of people, like layperson, have really no clue that mm-hmm. the Western care system, medical system, it's incomplete. Mm-hmm. Meaning that, you know, I always tell people, you come into the emergency room, we're going to rule out emergencies, like anything that's life-threatening, okay? Or at least get you to the next place. The fact of the matter is, like nine times out of 10, that doesn't always happen. It really takes up like, like an act of God to really bridge these people to the next steps. And also too is like, you know, like this misconception that 
this, the system is going to solve all of your problems. Mm -hmm. Okay. That is a misconception. So when I have an opportunity, I will speak to that and say, we're ruling out anything that's going to hurt or, you know, cause you harm right now. Mm -hmm. But it doesn't mean there's not something wrong and that you need to follow up with in other ways and other capacities. There is the break. There is the fracture that, that we talk about all the time. And so knowing that, and then also to the fact that Western medicine has only been in existence in the United States um, and probably Canada for about 200 years, maybe mm-hmm. give or take 50 years, right? Maybe I'm a little off by that, but around not even 300 years old. Mm-hmm. And if you think about, you know, the culture of indigenous people, the native people, the first peoples of this land, right? in the Northern Americas, okay, Mm -hmm. where there were Native people here. And, you know, we can go back about like other extraterrestrials or other people Mm -hmm. from other star galaxies. And those are my beliefs. And that's what I hold to be true to me, Mm -hmm. too. That their their connection to the land, the earth, and the elements is solid. Mm -hmm. It's solid. And When this whole thing broke, you know, whatever the wars and whatever the stories and whatever all the things, and those are all very interesting, but you have to think about those people and how they had it locked down, how they helped their own people with resins, with barks, with flowers, with plants, with soil, with whatever the nutrients in the food. And Then, you know, the Spanish and all the things and like all the things coming in. And then here we are, English come over here, the Spanish come over here. They bring all these infections. They bring all these like plagues and whatever. And then it disrupts the whole ecosystem of all of that. Mm -hmm. And then they start this like new way of having medicine, which is all BS. If, you know, we know that, you know. And so then there's this like massive like space and this just this like you know miles and miles and miles apart of like what it is to be have to have the medicine you know and have the things for people and so you know like no one there hasn't there is like no way of recovering and implementing that system because how many hundreds thousands years later are we from that and like now we're like oh crap look at these people they're sick <laughs> you know what i mean it's yeah. like you know it's like whoops you know but nobody's yeah. owning that whoops you know nobody's yeah. like owning that screw up yeah. you know that like all these like really intelligent people with all of these structures and all this hierarchy and all this patriarchy Okay. I mean, let's call it for what it is, comes in and like overrides all of that. And so now we have really, really sick people with massive comorbidities and like really there's not enough attention that's being placed on them because there is this massive gap of time and space Mm -hmm. that has happened over all these years. And now we're trying to backpedal like, oh no, how do we help these people? So I think this is like really important conversation and dialogue because- You know, when you break down the history and you like really go back to all those points that you just said, oh, yeah, we're doing a study because we're like, you know, it's like, okay, you think? 
you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's, that's really interesting is um, the historical part of this that you were talking about. Um, it reminds me of, you know, when you go back far enough and you look at Descartes, he was a philosopher. I think he was a French philosopher. And he was the one where he really separated the science from the spirituality. And he gave the spirituality to the Vatican and the Jesuits and the Catholicism. And then they took this other piece, the science piece. And to me, what I, and we continue to do that, you know, when we train our medical um, people that are going to medical school. And I, I talked to some of these individuals and they start to to understand what I was talking about is that when we start to silo and break these disciplines out, we lose the essence or the spirit or the um, the sacredness of, of these things. And so as a result of that, that's one of the things that I really try to, to hit on pretty hard when I um, do speaking engagements on psychedelics is spirit really needs to be first because that's when we come into this lifetime, we come in as spirits and we continue to hold that spirit until we leave and we take our last breath. That is the indigenous way of teaching. Um, and then the the spiritual part is also attached to the emotional part. And now we're finding that out in a scientific realm. Well, we, if you had asked us, we would have told you that a long time ago that that's, right. that's the way that it functions. And so now we're we're having to unlearn and we're having to relearn, um, you know, for most of the people that have been Westernly trained um, mm-hmm. about these different ways. And then you were talking about some of the the plants and the one that I think about is MDMA. People think of that as a synthetic. But when you go back far enough in history, we actually came from the sassafras tree, which was, you know, pretty much available on the east coast of the United States. And they used it for other types of medicinal purposes. And, um, you know, and so they refer to it as a, as a synthetic. And when I was at the, um, MAPS training, that was one of the questions I asked for us. Anytime you partake in a, in a plant, as you well know, um, if you're going to utilize a plant, you always got to make an offering. You got to tell the plant what it is that you're going to be utilizing it for. And you reciprocate by leaving some tobacco or you're leaving some cornmeal or something so that that life cycle can continue to, to flow. And um, we've lost sight of that, you know, in this psychedelic space where we, we want to just utilize it. In, and I, I just cringe when people refer to it as drugs because they are not drugs, they're sentient beings. And um, even the synthetics are because they're made of the elements of the earth. And so we really need to, to really see where we are and where we want to go as a, as, as a human race, you know. Um, I in my culture they say that we are five finger people. You know, it doesn't matter your color, we are all five finger people. Mm-hmm. And that is a way that we acknowledge each other from the holy ones that put us on this earth um in this particular point in time. And and so it's interesting you were talking about, you know, there's a small little snippet of time that everyone forgets about, um, where indigenous people have you been utilizing these uh, medicines for for a long time, not only just for healing, but for also to reach other um, conscious states um, to to be closer to the divine and find a divine within themselves. The answers were never outside of ourselves. The answers were always within, and I think that was a that was a big um, 
mis- misspoken teaching of the Catholicism and Jesuit. And I, I can speak to that because I was raised Catholic and I came to that realization um, as I started to become an adult and started realizing that there was something missing. Um, this one wasn't really the truth as I knew it in my heart. So, um, and I try to bring that forward. Yeah, I love that. That's what I love about you. And, you know, and like having people like that more in my life too, because I, you know, get, you know, when I put on my nurse hat, I go to work and I really carry that with me Mm -hmm. and it's always there. But, you know, like there's still like that having to do those tasks and having Mm -hmm. to take care of business and having to follow the policies and the protocols and then that like being in that matrix of my job because that's what it is. And it's, I, I, that is the, the key element in my, you know, experience that is missing in that world. And they're starting to show more signs of that coming up, but it's not, it's not, it's in need there. We need to have more of that. Yeah. And I think the other point that I wanted to bring up is that um, we talk about sacred reciprocity. And as you well know, the word in our, um, to our relatives in the South, the word and Aini, which is really, you know, to reciprocate in a sacred way. And um, so in the Western science, we need to learn how to do that. We need to learn how to give back to these communities that are bringing this wisdom and knowledge forward so that we can utilize it as part of our therapies, you know, to help heal individuals that have been traumatized or have complex PTSD or anxiety, um, you know, to use it in that way. Can you speak a little bit about um, the historical use of um, psychedelic medicine? I know that's probably you know, there's so many different ways that we can discuss this, but within your particular people, the significant relevance of, of these practices for you. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I, you know, looking at my Zuni culture, um, from Mexico, um, I've been doing some research in the area and they actually used to use doTERRA, um, primarily the medicine people that would, um, were holders of a certain society that were, um, connected to the star relatives, and they would utilize it for that purpose. And deterrence, as you well know, is that you to having too much of it can actually kill you. Mm-hmm. And so you really need to know what you're doing. I'm not aware that they're still utilizing that. Um, but then on the um, Navajo side, you know, um, when we were going through some very difficult time in the 50s and 60s, um, you know, we the peyote was brought into our communities, and we, we continue to, to utilize that as part of the Native American church. And throughout Indian country, we, we use that as a, as a medicine as well. And, you know, it's, a, it's interesting because, you know, you're bringing a medicine that was originally a traditional medicine that were, was not used in a church context. But then in the, the 650s and 60s, when a lot of our, our cultures and our ceremonies were were banned, there was actually a civil code um, for uh, Indian offenses was what it was called. Mm-hmm. And um, you would actually get fined or imprisoned for doing a certain ceremony. And so a lot of these practices had to go underground. Mm-hmm. And so and now it's only until we've had to, you know, sue the, the government and under their freedom of religious um, freedom 
um, to be able to utilize these in an open setting um, without implications for that. And then now we, in the psychedelic space, we have a lot of individuals that want to use peyote, but we forget about that it's already being over-commodified. You know, it's being overused and we're, you know, I always think about, and I and I know that a lot of um, traditional elders think about the future and the generations to come. We can't take all of this medicine and use it. Um, you know, we need to leave some for the next generation. And so how do we work collectively to to bring these medicines back? And I know that there's a big effort right now to have a conservation of these um, spaces where these um, sacred plants grow, um, peyote, so that we can bring them back. But it also worries me about ibogaine, you know, right. from our from Africa, right. you know, using more of that ayahuasca, mm-hmm. you know. And um, at the end of the day, you know, one of the things to keep in mind, if we were talking 200 years ago in this country, we didn't have borders with Canada. We didn't have borders with Mexico. And all of our traditional people, indigenous people, traded all the way from Canada all the way down into South America. Um, and we were, we, we, we've done that for, I don't know how many years, for a very long time. And so it's very difficult to speak to that point because I'm sure, you know, you, along that trade route, you have these medicines um, going back and forth. Um, and, um, so it is something that we all have to be responsible for. And as, um, guardians, um, which are Native American and Indigenous people as guardians of the medicines, not only just the psychedelic medicines, but all medicines, we need to make sure that there's plenty left for everyone else. That was a responsibility that we were all given. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And, um, it really began to hit me, you know, like the commodification and the, uh, you know, ayahuasca tourism in South America, you know, um, it's just blown up over the last, you know, eight or 10 years. And which is right around the time that I started really being more of a student of, of this, um, of those practices within the Shipibo tradition and, Mm -hmm. um, going to the Amazon and then realizing you know, as I see like trees being cut down and like piles of like ayahuasca vine and, and then just as like, it really just hit home of like what was really going on there. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there are conservation efforts being done with people, like people that I know within the psychedelic community that are, you know, trying to bring awareness and like buy pieces of like the jungle and the Amazon to like, just have it for, plants to grow and just protect the lands. And there's a lot of people that are starting to do that and saw this need like many years ago, even before, you know, this tourism just kind of blew up. And so, yeah, to your point with, as far as like the wisdom keepers and and people on this path and like really being in integrity and doing the work, which is why I feel very passionate about, you know, being a psychedelic integration coach, because I want to educate people, you know, Mm -hmm. that, you know, that want to undergo these like allegiances with plant spirits, you know, mm-hmm. and, and like discover their own healing and um, speaking out more about it. And I'm starting to see more people like, you know, on Instagram just talking about like why you don't want to do psychedelics, you know, and not just, pr- not like, oh, let's just all like, you know, do whatever. 
and I hear about it at work and I interject as much as I can to provide Mm -hmm. appropriate information about things. And, and, you know, there, there is like this um, openness, you know, with the healthcare system um, now that I'm seeing more and more, you know, licensed professionals, more doctors, more nurses, more nurse practitioners, more licensed medical people that are going into this world and mm-hmm. providing services, providing education, speaking out about it, really being more of an advocate for it. And that's like really, that's the thing that's happening right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is this like psychedelic re- renaissance. And that renaissance includes so many things. It includes so many people and in, from all different like backgrounds and like educational levels and, you know, all of us that, you know, are degreed and educated with that, you know, like really doing something that, you know, is meaningful within that. And we bring out the wisdom. And I believe that when those people are speaking and, you know, and you can tell that they're really bringing out that wisdom of the medicine, of the plants, mm-hmm. you know, and what the plants want to do, mm-hmm. you know, and the fungi and everything mm-hmm. too, you know, and it's just all this network. And, you know, one of my visions, that's what, you know, I saw, it's like this network, you know, under with the mycelium, you know, underneath with the trees mm-hmm. and everything of like, like how we are connected and how mm-hmm. we can be like that above ground and like really speak about it and to be able to empower and bring in, you know, and not have this like disconnect with our native communities because, you know, I'm about to go to the Amazon and I, I do what I can to support, you know, my, the Shipibo mm-hmm. tribe, the village that I go visit, you know, when I go there and I, I bring my, my, my financial support, I bring in mm-hmm. other level of support. And then at the same time, I'm doing my work, you know, and nobody's doing this with me. I'm, this is, yeah. you know, like something that I'm doing on my own. I collect donations from my coworkers and I buy supplies because they're very poor and, Mm -hmm. you know, they don't have like barely four walls to sit in to like learn and sit and learn. And a lot of these children don't really go to a formal school. Mm -hmm. And so they just, you know, they don't really have very much, you know, and they're the happiest kids on the planet. You know what I mean? They're just so healthy and happy and there's not, not a whole lot there for them, but that just goes to show you they're in their element. They're in their environment. And that like, you know, that's a study in itself for me, you know, and remembering as well. Yeah, I I love, I love all your shares. And I appreciate you, you know, sharing, you know, your experience and what you've seen within, you know, gap that, you know, as an elder, as a, as a wisdom keeper to like support. And with that, I'm curious of you know, as we start to bring our our time together to a close, you know, I always am very solution oriented and mm-hmm. and I would really like to hear what you feel are some solutions. Like in addition, you know, with without saying like, you know, there's obviously like, you know, local government, you know, federal government, you know, like the the Indian health services, as you spoke about, that these systems all somehow need to talk to each other. And that's the biggest problem, mm-hmm. right? And now it all trickles downhill, as we know. And then who it affects more is like the people that are suffering, you know, with all these comorbidities. And 
you know, people are dying and, and it's really senseless because these things are avoidable. And when I educate people about their health and their wellness and with respect to like their diet and their lifestyle, you know, we, we talk a lot about that and, and with our patients in the emergency room, because it's always about education. Mm -hmm. I always throw in like all these other things that people don't like, what are you eating? You know, how are you living? You know, do you Mm -hmm. really want to change your life? You know, how can we connect you to some of these things? And, you know, then also the, um, you know, that spirit part. And if I feel like they're receptive to it, I'll bring it up, you know, and I won't go too overly with it, but, you know, just enough to just kind of like, you know, leave them with something as they leave to go home. Like maybe they're thinking about how they're disconnected from their own body, right? That connects them to spirit, to God, to whatever. So I would really love to hear about that. From you. That's a that that's a loaded question. Um, I know, I know. Which is which I think is you know the, actually to be honest with you that was the reason right at why I wrote that article because I thought it was time again it's my contribution to try and bridge this gap that exists you know so that you know bringing that knowledge and that awareness to others in the space so they're like oh wow I didn't realize that's the way the system works. And I think, you know, going forward in this year, um, I've been thinking about other articles that I would like to write about, you know, write one on on policy, you know, because um, what I'm finding is that a lot of those that are in the Western space and that are non-Native or non-Indigenous, they don't know how to even begin to do whatever is needed. They don't know how to advocate. They don't know how to be a good relative to Indigenous people. So they have to be shown that. Um, you know, and articles on, you know, other things like research, you know, and the need for bringing in indigenous methodologies, because, you know, every year there's more and more research being done. However, one of the things is that a lot of the individuals that are being selected to participate in a lot of these um, research projects don't include Native American or indigenous people. And so there, therefore, it becomes very difficult to advocate for these types of policy changes or um, even access to some of these medicines. Um, And the other thing is just it becomes cost prohibitive. Like you were saying earlier, you find a lot of people going down into the Amazon um, for a retreat that might be $5,000, you know, which is something that uh, many Native people don't have and Indigenous people to go down there and get their healing. Um, so I think there's a lot that can be said there. And I think on the other side, I think of bringing that more closer to home for me is how do I begin to educate Indigenous and Native American people, Native Hawaiians, about what psychedelics are so that when these issues come up, policy-related issues, they can be knowledgeable enough so that they can advocate for whatever their needs are. Um, and so that's one of the big things that I've uh, in terms of projects that I, I put on my plate this year is to try and coordinate an online summit for Native American and, and Indigenous people. So if any of your listeners are out, listeners out there have that tech savvy, you know, I, I'm, I'm open to suggestions because I don't know that piece of it. I mean, I know how to organize things, but I don't know all the techie stuff, you know, that, that goes on behind the scenes. So, you know, you're absolutely right, I think, but it takes each and every one of us that are in this space 
um, utilizing these medicines either for personal or as part of our therapy to really um, work together, you know, because that is the only way that we're going to um, bridge this gap of understanding from both sides. I agree. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. I'm just curious, based on what you know and your experience with this, mm-hmm. what things need to be in place in order to move the needle forward, in your opinion? I think there needs to be the willingness on Western science to bend a little bit, because I find that a lot of times they're so strict in their perception of the way things need to be, and they're not open to other types of perspectives that can be brought in Mm -hmm. that can help to facilitate the movement moving forward. Um, So I think that's one piece. But on the other side, as well is resources. Resources always seems to be an issue, whether it's resources for allowing um, BIPOC communities to get access to these medicines and creating that conduit to do that. You know, I think about um, uh, healing centers where community individuals can come and actually do um, healing work, um, receiving that from therapists that are already trained, they're professionals, you know, to volunteer their time. Um, just creative ways about how we can right. really work together to to bring this to our communities. Well, with everything that's happening um, with ketamine and MDMA mm-hmm. and like psilocybin is kind of like coming up too with regard to, uh, you know, working within like a therapeutic, psychotherapeutic setting, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like, I feel like this needs to be in- injected into that. Mm-hmm. You know, because they're offering support and resource and financial, you know, help to veterans. Yeah. You know, that's like already yeah. happened. Exactly. And so now we need to inject this into that. That's, I've been watching that very closely because yeah. it's just another arm or a different or, uh, agency of the federal government and health and human services is just another piece of the pie that also needs to be looked at and the door open so that they can allow for healing to happen. And I think the other thing is, uh, you know, my last point is, is that when we talk about intergenerational trauma, we're talking about layers of trauma upon each other, you know, Mm -hmm. that have been existed for two, you know, 500 years. So how do we begin to heal that, you know, especially if you bring epigenetics into the conversation that I might have you know, I, I inherit the genetics from two or three or five generations ago. Yeah. Um, and how do I begin to heal that and, and peel those layers back so that there can be true healing of the people? Well, like people like you and, um, and Naomi and um, some other people that I know within your community, mm-hmm. like I see that, I, I feel like you exemplify that quite mm-hmm. well because like you're living what you're, doing, you know, like you're living what you are really wanting to bring out to your people and to people that are in need within your communities. Mm -hmm. And it is one of those things is like, you know, whether it's like now or like 2000 years ago, you know, when you sat in a circle around the fire and you Mm -hmm. sat with your, your healer, you know, like everyone saw, got to witness Mm -hmm. your healer and their disagreements you know, that they would have within other leaders within that and how a leader would get sick and then someone would come to their aid and they would provide, you know, the space for that healing to occur. 
And so when that happens and that is witnessed by your community, that's when other people far and wide and close can actually see that this person has taken agency. They are doing their own intergenerational healing. Mm -hmm. They are providing themselves the space and the opportunity as best to their ability to heal those potentials within their epigenetics to, to like take care of that intergenerational trauma. Mm-hmm. I've been doing that too for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all we can do is what we can see and what we can feel and then address it accordingly. And mm-hmm. so within that, then other people can see, you know, hear the examples, you know, and yeah. then there, there can, there can be a level of trust that is built. And then the powers that be, you know, however you want to coin that can also see like, okay, this has been working within the veterans um, community with this type of substance with ketamine or with MDMA or what have you. Let's build a model that mirrors that and like bring it to, you know, these other communities so that they can start to heal their diabetes. And like, what is that related to? And that's what's going on with the kidneys and, you know, healing their, their anger and their fears, because yeah. all of that is fear. All of mm-hmm. that is mistrust. You know, that's what those organs are saying, mm-hmm. you know, and then within mm-hmm. Ayurveda, that is the speaking of like what the person is unable to speak for, for themselves. Exactly. And so giving the space to like be able to do that, then he- healing, maybe, you know, it may not like you know, fully heal like their, their diabetes, or maybe it will, maybe they'll take less medicine. Maybe they don't have to go to like kidney, like dialysis every week, you know, maybe it's like something else, but then things will start to like unravel and like, there can be more, more and more of that, you know, within those people. Yeah. And I think one of the things that you touched on is that whole set and setting piece in indigenous cultures, those things really need to be community-based. In a Western model, you, those are typically more in a clinical setting, and there needs to be uh, availability to do both, you know, and be open to that as well. And just because our cultures and the traditions that we have carried um, are primarily oral and not written, it doesn't invalidate the um, efficacy or the validity of them. You know, because I think that's one of the things that Western science does is that it's it's all oral tradition. How can you tell that it even works? Well, it's worked for 500 years, you know, for right. your 500 years worth of data, you know. So I, I think that there's those, we're looking at the same coin, but two different sides. Well, the evidence-based mm-hmm. proof is already there. Yeah, It's already there within those other um, psychotherapeutic settings, you know, exactly. And it's just a matter of like, okay, let's do this. You know, let's yeah. bring that here and then provide this for other people. And then like, you know, best case scenario is that it's something that the government is, I mean, there's money there. Let's just, there's money there. Mm-hmm. It's not about that. There's not money. There is money exactly. there. Yeah. It's just like, let's bring those funds and then provide the, the way for it to get to the right people at the right situation. Exactly. exactly. So yeah, I think that, you know, I think there's a bigger vision here and I think it's great. I love this conversation. I would like to bring this to a close and I would like to just for you to share any final thoughts as we bring us to a close or if you have anything you want to share. 
I would love to provide. Yeah, that. you know, I, I think the other thing is just that, you know, we need to all be mindful that we are one of the stories that I wrote um, as part of the MAPS um, conference. I, I At the very end of my closing, I talked about how we are all on this cosmic dance together. And we really need to be willing to understand each other and understand with our hearts. Um, we've used this too much and we need to get back into here and really connect to one another so that we can move this whole um, psychedelic renaissance forward. Thank you so much, Belinda. I really appreciate you being here today. I Thank think this has like, so been a rich conversation. And can you please share with our audience like how people can get a hold of you? And we are going to have Belinda's information and links to resources about some of the things we discussed, you know, that um, Belinda mentioned today um, and the article that she wrote for MAPS. We're going to all have that in the show notes when we air this. And I'm, I'm aiming to air this probably in the next couple of weeks, you know, and um, if you have anything else, um, how people can work with you or reach you or want to work with you and maybe, you know, start something for based on what we talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They could reach me at my website. It's um, www.kaalogii.com. Thank you so much. And so, <laughs> so this is Rosie, the Cosmic Nurse. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. More exciting episodes. And there will be a period where I may not be so out here. I am going to be in a deep study with uh, Grandmother Medicine and the Amazon for all of February. And I will be returning in March. And I will have more episodes, more guest speakers. And thank you so much. Many blessings to you all. And Thanks again for joining us today on The Cosmic Nurse. Have a beautiful day. It has been my joy and honor to share space with you. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. My heartfelt intentions are to be in service for those who continue to be curious on ways to thrive. If you liked what you heard, please see the show notes below for more information and subscribe here and write me a kind review. You can also find me at thecosmicnurse.com can send me an email and you can follow me on IG at Rosie the Cosmic Nurse. Thank you for listening and until next time, ciao.